G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you again. Good to be with you as always, and I'm looking forward to today's episode, which is a little bit of a follow-on from last week's episode, and again, one of your favourite topics, of course. So we've called today's episode The Sustenance of Spiritual Experience. But Dad, after last week's episode, basically we had something happen which led us to think about this as a, as a topic. So do you want to describe to everyone what exactly was it that happened after last week's episode that made us think we could talk about this a little bit more? Okay, well part of it is we've posted information, including the last podcast, which was about spiritual emergencies and the difference between spiritual emergencies and psychosis. So that can be where people have some kind of transcendent experience that might be seen as overlapping with enlightenment in some way, like a mystical kind of experience. But that can be misunderstood sometimes as psychosis. So we wrote about that. Now, interestingly, one or two people got back and said, look, wait a minute, whenever people have religious or spiritual beliefs, that is psychotic. If people think that there's some kind of, well, I suppose it's the idea of some deity or divinity no that's just a magic fairy story kind of thing that can't be true you've got to be psychotic to believe that and was thinking well say from a psychological point of view and looking at research we understand that when people have spiritual beliefs it actually enhances their mental health and well-being overall so at least from a research perspective anything that actually helps our mental health and well-being normally we wouldn't dismiss that as being psychotic but the other thing is more than half the world's population would have some form of spiritual or religious beliefs. And so we generally wouldn't dismiss more than half the world's population as being psychotic. So I thought, well, maybe we should spell out a little bit more, certainly from even a psychological point of view and mental health point of view, how there are benefits to people acknowledging or perceiving a spiritual dimension in life. Well, there's been a bit of a movement over the last few years away from religion in many ways. And you see people, whether it be Richard Dawkins is someone who's been very prominent, Sam Harris, even people like Stephen Fry, who's someone I, I respect a lot. They're almost part of this new atheism movement, which in many ways is trying to move people away from religion in some ways. And it's funny, Dad, we've described it in the past before, and I almost joke that I'm a lapsed atheist is how I describe it in some ways because, as you'd know, when we were growing up, we didn't necessarily have much organised religion in the house. We would have had some focus on spirituality, but without necessarily connecting with the organisational side of religion, I would have you know, grown up very much thinking that there wasn't much to it. And I suppose as you get a little bit older and as you learn from uh, some of the, the more intelligent people who speak about this stuff, like Carl Jung and Sir Roger Scruton and Jordan Peterson and others, and, and you recognise that maybe there is something to it. And particularly when you see the evidence around the benefits of engaging in some spiritual practice, it certainly seems to me that it's not necessarily something that should be so readily dismissed as it seems to be by some people. So yeah, very much something I'm looking forward to getting into with you today. Yes, I think we'll all be influenced by our personal experience and it reminds me of what you were saying as well. I went to church schools as, as you did, certainly in secondary school and um, actually I would say that church schools in later primary school and secondary school almost put me off religion more than anything else and uh, especially when I had a, a primary school headmaster who said that we meant to believe every single word in the Bible literally. I found that hard to accept and I must admit later on, 
in later secondary school, I became, I would say, quite agnostic. I would describe myself that way. And then when I was involved in a, a debate, invited to argue the case for an agnostic, I thought, wait a minute, actually, I'm an atheist. I don't sense that there's a, any uh, divinity, if you like. And I think that if there were no God, people would invent one anyway. So it's probably a fiction. And I became an atheist until I experienced a lot of synchronicity in my early to mid-twenties. And I would say at that stage, my karma ran over my dogma. And I thought, hey, from experience, I think there is another dimension in life. And that opened me up more to also acknowledge later on when I did come across the research pointing to the benefits of sacred or spiritual experience. And it's something that we certainly don't want to talk down any particular religion today, the content that we're going to be speaking about today in many ways is related to all religions and the particular focus that we're going to have is on the spiritual aspect. So Dad, do you want to maybe just help us define exactly what spirituality is in in our context? Okay, well look, the way I would tend to think about it is spirituality relates to a soul dimension in life. So it relates to transcendent experience or sacred experience where there's a sense of some kind of deep truth that we relate to. Now, for many people, this might be associated with the idea of a divinity or a deity, and then we would consider it to relate to religion. But there are also 25 to 30% of people in the West, for example, who would describe themselves as being spiritual but not religious. And they would tend to still believe that there's some maybe higher consciousness beyond our own minds. They might think of a soul dimension in life that way, something beyond our own mind and something beyond our own will that exists. And so in that situation, I would say people might relate to spirituality or the sacred in a more secular kind of way. Well, that's an interesting one, and and particularly the focus on the idea that something's transcendent as well, because I must admit before discussing this with you this week and before really thinking about this, I wouldn't have necessarily considered myself to have much relationship with the metaphysical in that sense. But I suppose getting into this sort of stuff and talking about it with you, there's an element to which I think it's inherently metaphysical, particularly the transcendent aspect to it. So do you want to just speak to that a little bit in terms of how the transcendence maybe relates to something metaphysical or mystical? Okay, well, and again, as an example of something which might be a spiritual perspective but not so much religious is if the person says, the universe is telling me something as opposed to I got some sign from God, so to speak. Or people might use the expression, the universe provides when they feel there's something provident about the nature of reality that might involve some kind of higher consciousness or order or pattern in life that has some, often people see as having some benevolent kind of quality. But you mentioned the notion mystical there, and I think that spiritual experience overlaps with mystical experience, which William James, a prominent American psychologist from early last century, who was also actually a very scientifically minded psychologist, he developed the first psychology laboratory, I believe. But he was very interested in mystical experience, which he described as having four qualities It was ineffable, so hard to explain in words. It was noetic, so it would involve some kind of understanding that you couldn't just get from the intellect alone, like, say, precognition, for example. Where does that come from? Or clairvoyant visions that might prove to be true. 
this noetic quality. It's also transient, so mystical phenomena can't last for a great length of time. And it also shows passivity, as he called it, meaning being influenced by something beyond our own will. And again, it might be the idea of the universe gave me the sign, as opposed to, say, God giving me a sign, for example. But there's something beyond our own will. And so then I wonder how does this actually relate to psychology and in particular positive psychology because we obviously want to look at the benefits of this stuff because as you're describing that to me there, I almost wonder if there's a degree to which we can almost think that if we're so small and insignificant in the universe, if if there's so much more of a force existing outside of our own life, then that can almost, as I say, make us feel a bit insignificant and invalidate our existence a little bit. So how does it relate to positive psychology then? Okay, well, one of the main things is positive psychology, as we've talked about, is about a science of well-being. And there's increasing evidence for the physical and mental health benefits of people having spiritual beliefs of various sorts. And also many people do have spiritual beliefs, which, as Martin Seligman has described, many people describe that they've had experiences, spiritual experiences, that have had a significant positive impact on their life. And other people like, for example, Donald Meichenbaum of the CBT field describes that around 90% of people have turned to prayer at times like when the World Trade Centre was attacked. And so if people are actually using spiritual strategies for coping, then we can't ignore that kind of fact, especially if people are describing that they're getting benefit from it. So if a lot of people are using spiritual coping strategies, and if we know that they have mental health benefits and physical health benefits, then the field of positive psychology will be interested in that. But more broadly, I'll say, actually across a range of fields of psychology, there's an interest. So it's only in the last year that the positive psychology field has introduced a new division called the Division of Spirituality and Meaning, recognising there's more research about the benefits. But also in the CBT field, they're talking about more the need to acknowledge spirituality. And I would say also there's been a field of transpersonal psychology, which has been around for decades. And that has long talked about some of the benefits of spiritual beliefs to our mental health. And I might just describe that the notion of transpersonal experience overlaps with spiritual experience in that it involves non-ordinary states of mind, So it can be like mystical experience. It can involve mystical and holistic kind of perspectives and also transformative experience. So transpersonal psychology is interested in how non-ordinary states of mind and mystical experience can lead to transformation in some way. And so that's something which is being more recognised as a potential in mainstream psychology, but it's early days. And I think positive psychology is also more open to that because, again, Martin Seligman, the founder, is more open about some of his beliefs now. He described that he got into that field because he saw it as being a calling for him. He describes positive psychology as a sacred mission and also in positive psychology, people are looking at a range of research of seeing how spiritual and mystical experience can enhance people's lives partly through an enhanced sense of purpose and meaning. That's another aspect of spirituality, something that relates to our deeper sense of purpose and meaning. 
Well, it's a really interesting thing to see that there's a emphasis on spirituality coming back a little bit because I think it was you know the, the mid nineteenth century basically when Friedrich Nietzsche proclaimed you know God is dead. In terms of potentially people at that stage were starting to lose a little bit of their relationship with religion and spirituality. And so it's very interesting that about 150, give or take, years later, uh, that we seem to be regaining a little bit of that relationship. Is that is that basically how you read it as well? Uh, yes, it is. And look, I believe that Nietzsche quote, I think he was not necessarily saying himself that any kind of thought of a higher consciousness is ridiculous, God is dead. I think he was saying that there were the cultural changes, as you're suggesting, as far back as that, that people were, in a sense, much less inclined to think of a spiritual dimension in life. And we might also add that Freud had a big influence with this as well because he basically defined religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs as neurosis. And so from a psychological point of view, that put a bit of a kibosh, if you like, on the idea of spiritual (laughs) beliefs after someone as influential as Freud was suggesting it was some kind of very defensive way of looking at the world that was distorted. Which is so interesting, though, because it's my understanding that Jung's idea was basically that people who didn't have spiritual beliefs, and that's where neurosis came from. So obviously this this is something that Jung and Freud really disagreed on. Actually, that was an essential difference between Freud and Jung. Freud was very interested in the impact of sexuality. So he talked about the Oedipal complex, but he's also partly talking about life and death forces. He wasn't just talking about sex. He was also talking about eros, a life force more generally, and thanatos, a death force, which is also about the beginning and ending of cycles. It's not just about sex and death, so to speak, but by the same token, very focused on that more biological way of looking at things. But Jung had a much more transpersonal viewpoint from the start. So, for example, when he was talking about the collective unconscious, he was talking about how his patients, for example, would talk about these perceptions they had that sound like these weird mythical kind of stories that Jung found tied up with other ancient written traditions that you'd think, how would a schizophrenic patient come out with this same story that these other religious cultures were coming up with? And Jung thought, wait a minute, there's a deeper kind of transpersonal understanding in life that does relate to a soul level, if you like. And so Jung thought that Freud was way too much on about sex and Freud thought that Jung was too much off with the fairies with his spiritual beliefs. Well, it's fascinating that two people who were so influential in in psychology today had such differing views on the subject in that sense. I I find that very interesting. And, And one thing that I find really interesting, for example, about Jung's perspective on that is, is then you start to get into things like whether or not there's a universal moral intuition. So it seems to me from Freud's perspective, potentially, that there's no transcendent reality if there's no transcendent force that's holding us all together well then there's no possibility for there to be a universal moral intuition in that sense because there's no universality in the first place without a universal moral intuition i think there's a really interesting story about this which involved a real argument between freud and jung it's where they really split And I think that they were debating and arguing with each other partly about this sexuality-spirituality thing. And Jung thinks that Freud's got it wrong. And when they're in the midst of this debate, suddenly they hear this massive crack, this huge sound from the next door, and this 
armoire, which I think is like a covered bookcase kind of thing, had a huge crack in it just when they're having this peak of their argument. And the way Jung tells the story, Freud completely freaked out because Jung refers to this, he had a term for it, he thought it was a thing, he called it the catalytic exteriorization phenomenon, meaning in this crisis that there was between Freud and Jung, there is, if you like, some kind of higher consciousness or different forces in life, and the split in the conflict between them was represented by this huge crack in Freud's furniture. And apparently Freud really freaked out with that, according to Jung, and then wrote to Jung later on saying, oh, no, look, nice trick in a way you try to pull off there. Yeah, I know that seemed a bit weird, but look, I've walked around the house since and look, there are all sorts of creaks and cracks that you hear, so it's nothing really. And Jung thought that was, yeah, I think he probably did think that was a little bit amusing, thinking, wait a minute, Freud, I think you're trying to gloss over something here. So that's one of my favourite little stories of synchronicity, if you like. And um, I think there was a point to what uh, Jung thought in that situation. Oh, well, Dad, look, we'll have to get back to the, I suppose, the original topic of the podcast in terms of the positive psychology aspect Sorry, of this. Sorry, I've gone off. Your we, we might have to come, yeah, we, we certainly might have that. to come back to, to, your, uh, to Jung and Freud because it's absolutely fascinating stuff. And, and, you know, to me, this is getting into some really deep questions. For example, the idea of whether reality is inert or whether it's something that's moving and almost communicating with us, which I suppose in some ways implies a level of transcendence if it is doing that. So, uh, look, we won't get into all of this today. Let's maybe get back to some of the benefits of discussing some of this stuff, the benefits of adopting our own beliefs around spirituality. So, Dad, maybe if we just highlight exactly, let's start with maybe some of the physical benefits. What are the physical benefits to having a spiritual belief system? Okay, well, a number of these were outlined by Dr. Craig Hassed, a Melbourne-based doctor who wrote a book called The Essence of Health. And how he described it is that there was evidence when people acknowledge a spiritual dimension in life, that they tend to have a reduced incidence of cancer, heart disease and lesser substance abuse. They have better recovery from cardiac surgery. They have reduced mortality from all causes. They live longer and also... Well, I suppose on a mental health side, they have reduced incidence of depression and quicker recovery from depression. But back to the spiritual side, it also slows down cellular ageing. And this is something to do with the relative length of telomeres at the end of our strands of DNA. Now, as we age, the telomeres, the protective caps at the end of our DNA strands get shorter. And that can lead to more mutations and things like that. Now, when people have spiritual beliefs, then that relatively preserves the length of their telomeres. And there's something else that I heard at a positive psychology conference I thought was remarkable. There are many things that are known to affect an inflammation response, which negatively affects our health. And so this includes past trauma, it includes poverty, it includes homelessness, it includes even lengthy periods of being a carer for someone else. There are a range of situations which objectively can have a stressful impact on us and impact on our health. Now, there's something which can counter this negative impact of that stress to a degree, and they call it eudaimonic well-being. Now, eudaimonic well-being is a term that Plato used, which is when you're doing things for the benefit of other people. That can even include, say, 
volunteering or were you doing things with a great sense of purpose and meaning? Whereas if you're doing things for hedonic pleasure, so just pleasure, hedonic well-being, that does not help counter the inflammation response in the same way. So the inflammation response is responsible for all sorts of kind of health problems. And so that that's, I think, a remarkable finding as well about the connection between mind and body with that purpose and meaning aspect being relevant. Well, it is fascinating exactly how that works in terms of you think obviously the body is something so physical, the mind is something intangible in some ways, but the fact that the mind is able to affect the body to such a degree is, is something that I certainly find fascinating and, and something that makes it a little bit, uh, in some ways, a little bit disappointing to note that I believe out of the $30 billion that was given to the National Institute of Health Funding, only 0.2% went to mind-body therapies. So clearly, if, if you know you and I, and I'm sure all our listeners are sitting there going, that's a fascinating way that there is that connection. We don't know much about it at all. Yet, judging by this statistic here, 0.2% of $30 billion, it seems as if for whatever reason there are maybe groups of people, maybe drug companies, don't want to, don't want to point my finger at anyone, probably drug companies, uh, but they don't want to explore this stuff further. Yes, and that came from Jo Marchant in her book Cure. She talked about the benefits of spirituality, but also this minimal spend, say in America, on mind-body research. So the notion is if we pay so little attention to mind and body, well, that reflects how little attention we pay to mind, body and soul. And that's the shift that's occurring in psychology at the moment. A little bit more acknowledgement, not just of mind and body, which psychology is pretty good at these days, but mind, body and soul. Well, let's get into some of the mental health benefits now, because as you say, absolutely fascinating about the physical benefits. But it seems to me in some ways the physical benefits stem from the mental benefits. I imagine if we're feeling as if we have a sense of purpose and that sort of thing, that's really where our, our physiological structure is going to fall in behind our, our positive thinking in that sense. So what are some of the mental health benefits to having a spiritual framework? Okay, well, part of it, as I mentioned earlier on, is there's evidence that it can be protective of and help recovery from depression and also addictions, I might even mention the notion of 12-step programs. So that notion with AA, it talks about squarely acknowledging one's problems and has many principles, but there's also this notion of evoking a higher power. Now, that was actually developed by one of Jung's patients, the 12-step program. So Jung is partly very influential with that kind of model which has something of a spiritual basis to it. But I particularly look at the work of Ken Pargament, a clinical psychologist who does a fair bit of research on sacred experience. So sacred experience is part of that soul or spiritual dimension. And he talks about a couple of things more broadly. For example, if people have a sense of calling in life, as Martin Seligman did with positive psychology, he said that helps people engage with the work, get more satisfaction from it, if you like. If there's conflict or challenge, it helps people persist, even when things are difficult. Also, when people sanctify their relationships or see them as having a sacred element or being meant to be, it helps people deal with conflict in relationships, have more positive affect or joy in relationships, and again, persist through challenges more constructively. But more generally, what Ken Parkman found is when people acknowledge a spiritual dimension in life and experience 
something which we could call sacred, like have sacred moments, or where they feel that they're connected with something larger, or they experience particularly deep meaning in things that they're doing, that leads them to benefiting with all five pillars of well-being acknowledged by positive psychology. So the key pillars of well-being that positive psychology looks at are P for positive affect, E for engagement, positive relationships, meaning and accomplishment, the PERMA model, those five areas. Now, sacred experience or spiritual experience will enhance each of these things. People enjoy better general well-being and that includes a sense of joy Awe, wonder can come with that, gratitude. It helps people have a greater purpose in life, which helps engagement in roles and meaning and achievement. People spend more time and energy on the roles that they sanctify or feel have a sacred element to it. People are more resilient when they're facing hardship. They're more satisfied with their relationships. And in conflict situations, they're more collaborative. So... When people see things as having a sacred or soul dimension or experience sacred moments, so to speak, that bolsters PERMA, that side of positive psychology. This is especially relevant when you consider, as Ken Pargament highlights, that there are about 76% of people, certainly in America, who describe that they experience something more sacred than simply material existence. 76%. So most people have a sense that that can be part of life. And so clearly that has quite practical implications for people's mental health and what ways they use to cope with situations. Well, it's interesting hearing you describe that because there's two quotes that I must admit come to mind hearing you talk about that. And from two of the more, I suppose, prominent people with spiritual beliefs throughout history, or certainly two of the more prominent that I certainly resonate with. And the first one is from Friedrich Nietzsche, who we spoke about before, but he has uh, the quote, those who have a why to live for can bear almost any how. And there's another quote from Leonardo da Vinci that it reminds me of too, where he said, obstacles cannot crush me. Every obstacle yields to stern resolve. He who is fixed to a star does not change his mind. And so it seems to me that there's a notion from both of those quotes that if we can tap into our overarching calling, if we can tap into the deeper reasons for doing something, then on a very practical level, it's going to help us get through some of the more tedious aspects of our day-to-day life if we can connect it to that overarching motivation to do something. Those quotes are wonderful quotes to convey the notion of engagement, the notion of meaning. And if we have that engagement and meaning, we are likely to be absorbed in what we're doing and experience more joy or awe or satisfaction or or pleasure with things that we're doing, maybe even be more collaborative with people around. But also you can see how that would help people keep going even when things get difficult, therefore more achievement. So those quotes really sum up well those aspects that Ken Pargament was getting to. And it's a fascinating thing. I heard a a comedian actually recently talking about the fact that when he's on tour and touring in countries that don't have a transcendent belief system, essentially they try and solve all the jokes. So they're, they're almost so literal in their interpretation of what he's saying that they kind of go, I think the example he used was, you know, someone calls out, why don't you just apologize? And he's sort of there going, ah, 
Ah, uh, you just don't get it. <laughs> but, but anyway, one thing I'm interested in now, Dad, is how does this impact in therapy? Because I imagine there's going to be some people who have existing spiritual beliefs and there's some people who maybe don't have existing spiritual beliefs. Is it the sort of thing where you're basically working with whatever you're confronted with in terms of you're not looking to obviously change anyone's mind in a situation, but how does it come up in therapy where you may have your beliefs but you're obviously not wanting to impress those on someone else? Okay, now I'll mention a little bit of context to this too because I used to think it was not legitimate for people to talk about religious or spiritual experience in therapy. I thought that was going beyond psychology, breaking the rules and being unacceptable, so to speak. But um, just over 15 years ago, I came across the work of the Nezus, Arthur and Christine Nezu, and they're the first in the CBT field that I knew of to talk about it being legitimate to acknowledge spiritual experience. And the way that they put it is that if a therapist asked a client if they would like to discuss their spiritual beliefs, if they'd prefer to, and then if the client said yes, they would, then if the therapist went on to discuss their spiritual beliefs with them, and sometimes that might relate to the problem they were seeking help with, it might be depression or an addiction or something like that, but they found that the clients did better on their presenting problem, whatever they were seeking help with, when they discussed their spiritual beliefs as well, even if the therapist was an atheist. I thought that was very interesting. So that was the first thing I heard that said, okay, maybe it's okay to discuss spiritual beliefs if they come up and even ask people about that. Now, again, Ken Pargament developed a number of really helpful questions that people can ask that help elicit spiritual experience. So one of the things I think is just being open to it. If a therapist is open to someone having spiritual or religious beliefs and maybe asking them if they have particular spiritual beliefs or do they, for example, go to church? And as Pargament described, you can ask directly or indirectly, for example, whether people have particular spiritual beliefs that they'd rather discuss. Or you can also ask people where they get their deeper sense of meaning in life or what sustains them through periods of hardship or in my case with synchronicity I tend to listen out for people acknowledging different kinds of experiences that might suggest a different kind of mystical belief or whatever I think just simply even being open to it can help every now and then I might drop something in conversation about a client's story about a different kind of experience but I tend to wait or listen out to the person bringing that up. But in my case, a number of people know I've written a book on synchronicity. They know I talk about it on, say, this podcast or other kind of things. So that makes it a lot easier for me these days. I find people just bring it up and they know I have an interest in it. But I think that generally it's helpful if therapists are open to listening out for something that suggests that people do have deeper beliefs or at least inquire as to people's personal meaning. What does help people engage with things, get more sense of meaning from things, keep on going even when things are difficult? And we can also just look at what kind of things do people seem to make significant sacrifices for? Often it might be for family relationships or it might be in their work that gives a clue that they see their work as being more than just work, it's a calling. Or that they might have a sense of their relationship as having an extra meaning beyond just having been fortunate and lucky to meet someone who's a good match for them. That might be relevant, but there might be something deeper to it to a person as well. So I just think being 
open to looking at people's deeper philosophies and beliefs, including their spiritual beliefs. And is it the sort of thing where you find that regularly people recover when they connect with that spiritual side of themselves that I'm sure for many people was there maybe at a previous point in their life and for whatever reason they went away from it and for whatever reason they've been drawn back to it. So do you often find that that connection that people, whether it be gain or regain, with their spiritual side leads to recovery in that sense? Well, one of the main ways I'd see it is more generally if people do tap into a deeper sense of meaning and purpose for themselves. Sometimes people have lost that. When they're depressed, they've been through trauma experiences or they've been burnt out, they've lost sight of things, they might have had a lost relationship which has been difficult to recover from and sometimes people lose themselves. But then when you see people regain a fuller sense of themselves and who they are, sometimes that comes through with a regained sense of personal meaning and if you like, regaining a sense of themselves as having an authority within themselves. They can back their intuition more. They feel more their usual selves. I think sometimes you see people say things which involve deeper or meaningful beliefs for them and you think, well, the person's getting back to their more usual self with that rudder and direction, if you like, that authority within. That's a more general way it comes across. But look, sometimes there are epiphanies that people can have which often do have that sacred quality. And actually, there's research that shows that many therapists have experienced sacred moments with clients and that they find that these sacred moments can help be a turning point in a certain way. Or the client describes that in certain ways. And there was a Psychology Today article written by Bernie Beitman recently, and I contributed a couple of stories to that about clients whose lives had been saved by meaningful coincidences that they felt that there was a sacred kind of dimension to that, like a spiritual or meaningful dimension to that. And so there are times when it can dramatically help turn things around but I think also many people they will make more incremental changes it'll be step-by-step kind of change but if people do have some kind of sense of direction or purpose or meaning that makes it easier and so that's one of the main things with say depression people can lose themselves in that sense of authority within themselves they can lose that usual sense of direction and meaning and that can make it that much harder and sometimes it is events that can make a difference that way or people in whatever way tapping into a deeper meaning within themselves. Well, it seems to me that most people who experience a paradigm shift in therapy, it would usually be through some form of spiritual experience, through some form of transcendent experience, I imagine, because without that, we're just, as you say, we're only able to gradually add to our perspective as we go along. And so it's likely that we're only going to make gradual changes in that situation. Whereas if we gain great insight from one event that... Or if it's spiritual, it's likely to be transcendent. It's likely to come from outside of our existing conceptual framework. So it's likely to, I suppose, give us a bit of a shock in some ways. And and, and that shock can lead to insight, which can lead to a bit of a paradigm change for people, I imagine. Yeah, look, I suppose what we're talking about now is epiphanies, really, isn't it? And um, now it reminds me of Seligman's research as well, or he described this research that In America, which is maybe more religious a country than Australia, certainly, but 41% of people surveyed in America 
reported that they'd had a religious experience that changed their lives. And then that's where he added terms himself, for example, describing positive psychology as a sacred mission. And I know that he had experiences, and certainly Mandy, his wife, had experiences. As a psychologist, by her background, she had a whole range of experiences that had a lot of synchronicity attached to it, but also, if you like, sacred experiences that helped her connect with Marty, who she knew of from a different country before she went to America, ended up in the same university as him through remarkable coincidences, and, uh, and after another couple of steps, the rest was history. Well, it's interesting having someone so prominent in academia as Martin Seligman talking so openly about spirituality and things like this. And and look, I must admit that the prominence of spirituality is, is something that I suppose I see echoed with my generation, mainly on social media and things like that. And and you see, for example, a lot of Instagram influencers and, and people like this, they're very much into the notion of self-care uh, and things like that. And quite often their self-care practices will include a spiritual practice of some sort, whether it be meditation or yoga or things like that. So I wonder if you could just speak to the connection between those practices and spirituality. Well, I suppose that there have been many cultures that have been around for so many thousands of years that have distilled various types of human wisdom, if you like. And many cultures will have also had their traditional shamans or healers, and so they would have come across this notion that meditation or certain practices that relate to breathing practices or reflective kind of practices or ways that reduce your thoughts can be relevant and also how certain practices can seem to tap into a non-ordinary state of mind. So psychology might be only just starting to look at this a little bit more again after William James did a hundred years ago but there are traditions that have been around for a long time that also tend to say things about life and reality, which is like what the quantum physicists said about all things coming back to consciousness, about space and time being an illusion. So look, to some extent, I think that there's a whole lot of received wisdom that exists in a whole range of religious and spiritual traditions. And to some extent, people are going to draw from that, including the practices that they might have used, like meditation and yoga and other things. So I suppose this is partly about things that have been tried and true and passed down in different ways. And yeah, well, popular media and popular culture will draw on some of that. And it is worth acknowledging that when people are engaging in yoga, meditation and things like that, it partly comes back to these ancient spiritual type practices which people partly used in the past to help to tap into a transcendent dimension in our culture, dare I say a bit more materialistic Western culture, people might have stripped away some of that transcendent aspect and they might use these practices but they might talk about it in terms of stress management or for relaxation or something like that. But I think as you're saying as well, there's a little bit more of the transcendent language coming in, isn't there, also with many of the influences, I suspect. Certainly, yeah. I think it is something that, yeah, I see a little bit more of as time goes on. But, Dad, I suppose just to to finish up, one of the last questions here is, one thing that really strikes me about all this is that there can be a real degree to which spirituality and our spiritual and even mystical experiences are such an individual experience. They're such an individual subjective thing. 
So I wonder then, do you have any thoughts on how we can encourage discussion with others in terms of how can we get past maybe some of the judgment that we might perceive from others and feel comfortable to bring forward some of our own experiences? Well, the first thing I think is being prepared to tell stories at times with trusted others. They might be closer friends or they might be family, but trusted others, if we get a sense that we can maybe open up a little bit more to people, if we have some deep and meaningful experience, there's something wonderful about sharing that with someone else. It adds to its depth and meaning, if you like, if it can be shared. So being prepared to share some of our stories, that's where I get back to the notion of synchronicity as one way of tapping into sacred experience. Um, Myself and a number of others, what we're really on about is encouraging people to share their stories but if people experience a spiritual dimension in life or soul dimension in whatever other way share those stories and so this now reminds me of a question that can help elicit also the deeper meaning in us and it comes from David Cooper Ryder who's another leader in the positive psychology field and he described at one conference years ago how he'd love to get together a number of the world's spiritual leaders and he'd love to ask them a question And I think we can all contemplate this question that he would ask the Dalai Lama and the other leaders. He said he was going to ask people, can you share a story of a moment or a period of time when clarity about your life purpose emerged for you? It might be when your calling happened, or it might be an important awakening or teaching or a special experience or event or when you received a guiding vision. I think that's a terrific way of getting at what Jung called numinous or transpersonal experience, and I think we can contemplate Cooperider's question for ourselves. Well, it's something that uh, that you can certainly give a lot of thought to, Dad. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot, I think, that we can all go back and even have a think about our own individual belief systems and thoughts and everything to do with spirituality after today. But look, if there's one thing that really stands out to me, it's that, you know, one, uh, I suppose, common thread from a lot of religions is the idea that life is suffering in many ways and that there can be a lot about life that can be really tough. And it seems to me that part of a transcendent understanding part of a transcendent belief system is that it allows us to connect with more than just what's immediately around us in terms of I think back to last year and I think of lockdown and you know dad as you know I live by myself so there was elements of of that period of time which was really tough but also on the other hand there's an element to which that experience and going through that collective experience with everyone Everyone in the world went through lockdown and now we're able to, I suppose, tap into something that we wouldn't have otherwise and to me that fosters a connection that wasn't there and and to me that's what some of this spirituality stuff is about. Without it, it seems that there can be a real tendency to focus on the darker side of life, to focus on the things that might be immediately around us that are bringing us down in many ways. But to me, what spirituality suggests is that there's something out there that even if we're not able to see it right at that moment, that there is some positivity to look forward to, to tap into, to try and create for yourself and for those around you. Life's not just about suffering and life's not just about being in the dark. It's about where you can make the light in the dark. So to me, that's part of spirituality is tapping into what's going to motivate you to be the light in the darkness. I think that's very well put, Rowan, and 
it does strike me what you're describing as well, the notion of suffering being such a part of life and yet there are things that make life worthwhile. And that's what a psychologist, Robert Lay, describes about where a tragic view of life can still be consistent with an optimistic approach to life and positive psychology. Bad things happen. I'm going to die, you're going to die, everyone's going to die. Now that's sort of challenging enough to consider. There's trauma that happens, there are difficult things that happen, and yet there are things that make life worthwhile. And the things that make life worthwhile for many people often involve a connection with ourselves at a more deep level, a connection with others, using, say, Chris Peterson's maxim in positive psychology, other people matter. That's a spiritual statement, what he said, the most important thing, other people matter, our connection with others. And for many people, there's a sense of connection with something beyond ourselves, beyond our own minds. So connection with our deepest selves, connection with others, connection with something beyond. To me, that sums up what spirituality is about. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And look, I, I must admit, having you know discussed this stuff with you before, I feel I'm, I'm 27 years into a very long journey. I don't necessarily feel that, uh, that I know everything in this area. And the more that you look into it, the more that you feel like you don't know and the more that you recognise that, uh, that there is out there that exists, that is potentially outside of our existing framework. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to having many more of these discussions with you in the future. Thank you very much, Rowan. Wonderful to contemplate the mysteries of life with you. And of course, we'll put up everything for today's episode. At the episode page for today, you can find that at chrismackey.com.au slash podcast. Thanks so much again, Dad. Look forward to the next one. See you then, Rowan.